0: Okay, verse thirteen says, "But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope." For, Jesus, for, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. then Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord." And so we're looking at this series, Stand with Courage, part of our Stand for Jesus theme this year, Stand with Courage. It takes courage to stand, does it not? And we're looking at this title this morning, The Christian's Future, The Christian's Future. Listen, you look left and right in front of you and behind you, and it's getting darker and darker and darker spiritually, and that can be scary. Uh, There are some things, I think, waiting for us Christians here in the very near future uh, that are not pleasant. But the good news is that if you turn to the book of Revelation and you read the end of the story, we win. We win. And so we need to put our eyes on the Lord and understand that while we may not win every battle, God in heaven is going to win the war. And we're on the winning side. Amen? And I hope that this morning this will encourage you to take a stand and fight, and fight fervently for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to understand the message. May it be well received. Lord, may it encourage someone who's weary and downtrodden and discouraged. Lord, help us to double down on our effort to stand with courage. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the end of the story to let us know how it would all come about. And Lord, we can find rest in that. We can find peace in that. Guide us now this morning. Lord, help me to preach with your power. But Lord, help your people to listen with power. Lord, as I have prepared to preach, may their hearts be prepared to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in order for Christians to take a stand um, for what we believe to be true, we must be filled with... With courage. It takes courage. And so courage requires many things. There are many elements to this idea of courage. But one of the most important elements of courage is perspective. We need proper perspective. And um, I, I, one time I had some problems in my life. And my dad said to me, he said, put your hand up right in front of your eyes. And I did. I thought he was going to smack my hand into my face. But he didn't. He said... He said, this is all you see is your problem. Then he took his hand and he pushed my, my hand back from my face. And he said, if you'll get the problems away from your face, you'll have a better perspective in life. We need perspective. Well, let's talk about perspective here just for a moment. This college young lady who had gone away to school wrote home to mom and dad. And this is what her letter read. She said, dear mom and dad, Just thought I'd drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy named Jim. you got to watch out for those guys named Jim, all right? (laughs) He quit high school after the 11th grade to get married. About a year ago, he got a divorce. We've been going steady for two months and plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment I think I might be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. On the back side of the letter, on the back side of the, that paper, the letter continued. It read, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But Mom and Dad, it is true that I got a C- minus in French and I flunked my math class. And it is true that I'm going to need some more money for my tuition payments. Love, your favorite daughter, Julie. Perspective. Perspective. A C-minus doesn't sound so bad when you consider what it could have been, right? That was clever. What kind of perspective does the Christian need to be able to stand for Jesus and do so with courage? Well, we need to be reminded that when things here on earth get tough, we have heaven waiting for us. Jesus told his downtrodden and discouraged disciples in John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. There are good days and bad days in the lives of all believers, but the truth is that heaven is awaiting us. Heaven is awaiting all of us. The book of Revelation in the Bible is an exciting book. Uh, it's a sensational book. It's a cinematic book. Boy, there's a lot there, and uh, people love to dive in the details and read about the demon locust and uh, uh, all of the antichrists and the false prophet and and, and 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 Satan and how he's at work and and God pouring down wrath on the earth and uh, boy, what do you think this means and what's the symbolism there? How does technology fit into the picture? And uh, Christians like to get sort of lost in the weeds. Of the book of Revelation, but can I tell you why the book of Revelation was written? It was written to to dangle the carrot out in front of the church and say, "Listen, uh, stay." faithful it's going to get tough and there are going to be days that are dark and you're not going to be real sure how to navigate sometimes but just remember this that at the end of the day when push comes to shove and it's time for you to take a stand you can stand with great courage you can stand with great faithfulness because jesus is going to one day come back and evil will be put to rest and king jesus will reign and we will reign with him my friend, we're on the winning side. To date, we've looked at three sermons in our series, Stand with Courage. Here's what we've looked at to date. We've looked at the Christian's fear. You may remember in that message, we talked about uh, people that have a fear of all sorts of things in this world. Uh, the problem is they, um, they are looking at the wrong things instead of spending time with God they're spending time in the wrong places. Then we looked at the Christian's focus. Focus. We talked about the importance of having a focus on God. And we said, "What? where you focus, you fear. Where you focus, you fear. Many people fear what's going on in the world because they have either Fox News or CNN playing at nauseum. And my friend, if you're watching the news all the time, you're going to be afraid because your mind, your attention is on man, you will fear man. If your attention is on God, you will fear God. Many people, their attention is on this virus. And because their attention and focus is on the virus, they fear the virus. Other po- folks have their focus on God and their fear is in the Lord to protect them. Then we looked at last week, the Christian's fortress. We talked about it, We looked at Psalm 91. We talked about dwelling, abiding in the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty. We looked at verse 2 where the psalmist said that God was his fortress. And verse number 4 that talks about being hidden under his wing and God looking after us and protecting us. Christian, if you're trying to do the Christian life on your own, you're trying to live life on your own and rely on your own strength and ability to get through life, I promise you, you're going to fail I promise you, you're going to be a casualty of war. We looked at how a 1,000 fall on the left side and 10,000 on the right side. Why? Because people get away from that fortress. Well, Christian, you're fearing God. You're focusing on God. You're dwelling in the fortress. But man, the dark... Uh, just gets darker and darker, the night gets uh, bleaker and dimmer, and you wonder where God is, has he abandoned me, Um, uh, has he forgotten about me, where is God when I need him the most, Is God just gone to sleep, Uh, has God abandoned me, and and has he forgotten my prayer, and I'm here to tell you this morning, no he hasn't, and uh, Paul faced a similar situation, with the church of Thessalonica, and what did he do, he pointed to, The future. If we're going to stand with courage, we need to be reminded that the Lord not only owns our todays, he owns our tomorrows. He's in control and we need to trust him. When life has you beaten down and wave after wave uh, come crashing down on your life, where do you find rest for your soul? Can I tell you? By looking at your future. Someone once quipped, when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. God promises heaven to those who are saved. God promises rewards to those who are saved and stay faithful. A certain unknown Christian was brought before the Roman governor named Pliny. Now the governor, finding little fault in the man, uh, proceeded to threaten him. I will banish thee, he said. Thou canst not, was the reply, for all the world is my father's house. Then I will slay thee, said the governor. Thou canst not, answered the Christian, for my life is hid with Christ in God. I will take away thy possessions, continued Pliny. Thou canst not, for my treasure lieth in heaven. I will drive thee away from man, and thou shalt have no friend left, was the final threat. And the calm reply once more came, thou canst not, for I have an unseen friend from whom thou art not able to separate me. His name is Jesus. What was a poor harassed Roman governor with all the powers of life and death, torture and the stake at his disposal to do with people like this? The Christian, This Christian had his eyes on the future awaiting him in heaven and no threat on earth, no discouragement would derail his courageous spirit. I believe that the day-to-day grind can cause the Christian to lose perspective on what awaits him or her in heaven. I propose that many Christians lack courage to stand for Jesus because they are too busy bowing before and earning the praise of men. We want so badly to fit in with the culture at large. We want so badly to be accepted and at the least we don't want to be rejected. This happens because of cowardice. Cowardice is a lack of looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. I believe that if Christians would dwell on their future and the hope that awaits them, then we would gain the courage to stand for Jesus even that much more, even that much more. So let's jump in this morning and look at three truths from God's word. As we continue our series, Stand With Courage, and we look at this concept, the Christian's future. Okay, point number one. Point number one, our hardships. If you received a bulletin on your way in this morning on the back, there's a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to take notes. Our hardships. And notice that word, rigor. Rigor. You know, sometimes living for Jesus is not easy. It's not easy. Uh, if I could compare... Living for Jesus versus living for the world, um, to or parallel it with something, you know what I enjoy? I enjoy eating sugar. Amen. I like my sweet coffee. I like my uh, candy bars and my chocolate cake and my ice cream. Um, Angela made brownies the other day, and so I wait till she's not in the kitchen and I cut another piece. Amen. And she comes back in the kitchen, and there's just a little bit more gone. And uh, she's looking at the kids suspiciously, and I just pretend like I don't know what happened. Amen? Um, I love my brownies. I love sweets. I love, love chocolate chip cookies. And it's hard for me when I stop to get gas to not wander in the convenience store and buy myself a little snack. It's difficult. But you know what eating sugar does? It's not good for my health. You know, um, eating vegetables is necessary. And I am thankful that God has given me a wife who forces me to eat vegetables. She sent me some uh, spinach the other day to work for my, you know, sack lunch. And um, she just shoved as much of it as she could down in the Ziploc bag. And I opened up that Ziploc bag and spinach shot up and hit the roof. Okay, that's not quite true. But there was a lot of spinach in that bag. And I got a bowl, right, to put it in there. And it was falling, literally falling out of the bowl. And uh, I'm tempted to, you know, get some sugar and sprinkle it on top of the lettuce. But uh, I shouldn't do that. You know what? Eating sugar, sugar isn't good for you, but it tastes good. And vegetables don't taste good, but they're good for you. You with me this morning? When we live like the world, and indulge in sin, it might taste good, but it's not good for us. But when we walk with God and we read our Bible and we pray, it may not be what our flesh craves and desires, but boy, it sure brings about a spiritually healthy person. If you are going to do right, I promise you, you're going to face some hardships. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. We'll talk about that part of the verse more in just a moment. Look at this next phrase. That ye sorrow not. That ye sorrow not. Look down at verse number 18. Wherefore, comfort one another. Comfort one another. Why would uh, folks need to be comforted? Why would they have to be told not the sorrow? Why would Paul have to take a chapter and a half, to instruct these people, or rather to encourage these people. You know why? Because they were downtrodden and felt defeated. Being a Christian had been hard on them. Letter A, notice, lack of acceptance, lack of acceptance. Now, um, we're going to steer away from 1 Thessalonians 4 for just a minute, but I'm going to show you in just a moment how that these Thessalonian Christians faced all of these hardships, okay? Turn over to John chapter 15 and look at verse number 17. John 15 and verse number 17. Um, Being a Christian is um, glamorous and romantic on paper. But when you get down into the day-to-day living and you have to fight the battles with the flesh, the world, and the devil, uh, sometimes it doesn't feel so glamorous and romantic Um, And and, and here are the hardships that we face. Look what Jesus said in John 15 to his disciples. Verse number 17. Jesus said, these things I command you that ye love one another. You know what he's saying here? He's saying stick together because it's going to get tough. Stick together. Tonight, we're going to look at the enemy from within the church. Out of Acts chapter 5, okay? Okay. Um, Satan wants to tear the church apart, and if he can't do it from without, then he'll get us to fight and bicker and argue from within. Jesus is saying here, look, the world's going to be hard enough on you. Love one another. He continues, look at verse number 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. The world would accept his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you, rejects you. Verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If uh, they have persecuted me, rejected me, they will also persecute you, reject you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Now, I've read this passage many, many times uh, as your pastor, and even this calendar year, we've looked at this passage a handful of times. Um, And uh, the truth is, this passage is difficult to swallow. What makes it difficult? Listen persecution equals rejection. Persecution equals rejection. And let's just get honest this morning, let's be candid and real. Rejection is no fun for anyone. Do you enjoy going to a family reunion and speaking up about Jesus and then feeling awkward and weird the rest of the time you're there? Because everyone's like, oh man, he found religion and got crazy. Do you enjoy uh, speaking up for Jesus at work and then everyone just kind of be like, oh, keep him over there. He's lost his marbles. She's lost her marbles. Uh, Do you enjoy, even within your own home, taking a stand for what's right and people looking at you like you're some radical nut? No one likes to be rejected. God built us to want acceptance. I watch when my children get in the car after school sometimes. Once or twice this year. And if you have 5th, 6th grade children, you understand this. You've been through it, I'm sure. Um, A couple of times this year, I've looked at my daughter, and she's been on the brink of tears. Somebody at school said something that hurt her feelings and that was unkind, and she felt rejected. She felt excluded, pushed out. And, you know, that hurts. That's hard. When um, growing up in church, I... uh, would go to, as a teenager, I'd go to youth camp, youth conference. And, you know, I'd go out to some youth conferences that would have four, five, six, 7,000 teenagers at one big, big, mega conference. And uh, they were run by churches with a similar philosophy to this one. Every single time I went to a youth, con- youth camp or a youth conference ran by a church, can I tell you that there was always at least one sermon devoted to the topic of not giving in to peer pressure? Not caving to peer pressure. You know, these kids that want to do right and they go back in the public school, boy, that's tough. That's tough. They're really pressured into talking and living and acting like the world. And so every every single camp, every single conference, regular in youth group regularly in youth group, the youth pastor would get up and he'd talk about don't cave to peer pressure. Stand for what's right. But can I just say this morning that adults need to hear that same sermon too? Because we give in to peer pressure all the time if we're not careful. And my friend, we're not called to gain acceptance from the world. We're we're called to gain acceptance in Christ. If God be for me, who can be against me? Let the heathen rage and the vain imagine an evil thing against me. If God is on my side... Then that's all that matters. You see, if you fear God and you're focused on God and your fortress is God, then you don't care about anyone's opinion but God's opinion. Don't find your acceptance in the world. I will just say before we move on to let her be here that when we are rejected, it is tough. It is tough. It is no fun and it takes courage. Just stand for what's right. We're looking at our hardships, our hardships, lack of acceptance. Letter B, notice, livelihood threatened. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10 and look at verse number 16 with me. Now, we preached a whole sermon out of Matthew 10 in our first series of the year, um, but uh, without, stand stand with conviction, but without going back and re-preaching that sermon, I just want to draw out One truth here uh, that is a a key reminder for us, something I believe we need to be reminded of regularly. Look at verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, Jesus says. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. Now look at the different ways that the Christian will be threatened moving forward here. Jesus tells us prophetically, but beware of men they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. So we're going to face religious persecution. Verse 18, And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought of how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what you shall speak, for it is not... Ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. Now, I skipped right over it, uh, but right there we're told, let's see, verse number 18, ye shall be brought before governors and kings. So we saw religious persecution. We're going to see governmental persecution. And then we'll see family or familial persecution. Look at 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents. And cause them to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You know the three institutions that God created. The family, government, and church. Satan is going to weaponize those three institutions against the Christian. The government. Right? The church. And the family. And our livelihood will be threatened. Now... Uh, Jesus says that we're sent forth to be sheep in the midst of wolves. And we have to navigate this carefully. We have to navigate this carefully. I'm watching as our country is becoming more and more godless. You know, um, America used to be indifferent. First, America was favorable toward God. And then the American culture at large became indifferent toward God. And as long as the culture was indifferent toward God, you could be a Christian and people just didn't really care. All right, you go to church, that's just not for me. Again, the culture used to be everyone went to church on Sunday and everything else was shut down. And then stores started to open up and people went, some people went to church and some people didn't go to church. But our culture is shifting from being indifferent toward Christians to becoming hateful and spiteful toward Christians. And as that shift happens, it's going to get very uncomfortable for you to be a Christian. Right now, there are meetings being held by our corporate banks. I would encourage you to research this for yourself. But there is a number that is going to get assigned. To, this isn't a conspiracy, okay? I'm not floating a conspiracy out there. This is fact. This is happening. This is happening right now. It's just not being covered by the news, by most ma- major news sources. There is a number that is going to be assigned to each one of us and institutions as well, similar to a credit score. It's called an ESG number. Look it up for yourself. ESG number. E stands for Environment. S stands for social justice, and G stands for governance. And depending on the companies you associate with, the people you associate with, uh, you will be assigned an ESG score. And if your ESG score is low, a bank will deny you a loan. This is coming. Guess who's going to have a really low ESG score? Gun-toting, Bible-believing Christians. Guess who's going to have a high ESG score? People who are woke and politically correct. My friend, the Bible is about the most politically incorrect book there is. Now, I'm not trying to stand up here and sell fear. That's not what I'm trying to do this morning. But I am trying to say, I do believe a day is coming very soon that if you are going to be a Christian, your livelihood is going to be threatened. It's going to be threatened. Letter C, notice, loss of life. Loss of life. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to give you some history on the church of Thessalonica here. Look at verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren, look here, concerning them which are asleep. You remember when Jesus went in to Jairus' house and he told the people that were weeping outside, she's not dead, she sleepeth. And then Jesus told his disciples that Lazarus slept and then he had to plainly tell them that Lazarus was dead. Why would Jesus say that a dead person is asleep? Here we see the same thing uh, concerning them which are asleep. Now, these are people who are dead. Uh, We'll get a deeper explanation of this when we get to uh, point number two. But the truth is that you have a soul that lives forever, and that body, while it may be dead, uh, it will be awoke, uh, uh, rather awakened one day, and it will be given new life all over again. Here Paul tells them, uh, he says to the church of Thessalonians, concerning them which are asleep, look here, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Sorrow not? I have people who are dying in my life that I love, and I'm not supposed to sorrow? Or I'm not supposed to sorrow like the lost? That's a tall order. How are we to sorrow not when someone we love passes away and does so because they were killed for their faith? Okay, Acts chapter 17 tells us the story of the church of Thessalonians being started. What happened was Paul and Silas arrived in the port town of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was located, uh, is or was or is located in, uh, in Macedonia. Macedonia is modern day Turkey. And so they show up to this town and they did what they always do. They went into the synagogue first and they preached Jesus the Jews. And the Jews picked them up by the back of their neck and their back of their uh, pants and threw them out of the synagogue Okay, and said, get out of here. We don't want that being preached here. And so then they did what they usually did. They went and they preached to the Gentiles. And guess what? Gentiles listened to the message of Jesus and they got saved and they formed a church. And three weeks into this church plant, the Jews get all upset over this church being started and they want to run Paul and Silas out of town. Actually, they wanted to kill them. And a man who was a believer, a new believer named Jason, hid them in his house and snuck them out of town under the cover of dark and sent them down the road to a city called Derby. And so um, uh, then they ratchet up the persecution against the Christians. I bet some of them probably were fired from their job because they went to this church. And I bet that some of them were taken and beaten and put in jail for what they believed. In fact, Jason was arrested for having helped harbor um, uh, Paul and Silas. And uh, he was tried in court and they, he had to pay a bond to get out of jail there in that story. But then we learn here in this letter written by Paul, that some of them had even died as a result of their faith. Now, persecution ratcheted up this church's passion for God, and they would go out and they would proclaim Jesus all over the regions of Macedonia, and Paul would praise them for that. But here we see that loved ones had died. Now, I want you to imagine that you're right in the center of all this. You're in the church of Thessalonica. You don't have the entire canon of Scripture written. And you don't understand the concepts of Jesus coming back one day. And all you see is that you and your fellow believers are taking a stand for what's right. And man, the enemies are fighting and attacking. And your brothers and sisters in Christ are being killed. I mean, this was bad, folks. In fact, many of the people that had gotten saved, their own families had disowned them. And so they found their family at church. One of the things I love about White Oak Baptist Church is how long some of you hang around after services and talk. Sometimes it's like an hour and a half and I'm like, okay, folks. I got to get home. All right. Uh, I love it. I love it. You know why I think that is? By the way, in the southeast, it doesn't work that way. Five minutes after church is over, the building is vacant in most churches in the southeast. You know why? Because there's more of a Christian base down there, and there's less of one up here. I'm talking about in the culture at large. In fact, you know how people around here, you ask them where they go to church, most people up here tell you they're Catholic? In the southeast, you ask most people where they go to church, and to the same percentage, they tell you they're Baptist. How many of are from the South and understand this? Okay? A handful of you from the South, you know this. People down there are Baptists. I mean, the waitress at Shoney's is Baptist, right? The, ga- the guy at the gas station is Baptist. Everyone's Baptist. Here, most people just want little to do with God. So when people come to church, they find this to be their spiritual family. And they love uh, fellowshipping one with another. And then these people who they had grown close to, their battles in this, their brothers in this Christian battle, were being killed in war, spiritual war. And they were becoming very disheartened because they didn't have the Scriptures to understand what was coming. And Paul wrote to them and said, Listen, you may have family that's died, and you may think that the wicked are succeeding and the righteous are being slaughtered, but please understand, there's more to the story. Number one, we looked at our hardships and the word rigor. Number two, let's notice our hope and notice the word rapture. Now, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but the idea of the rapture is. And for those of you here that have never heard this before, this might sound strange, but it's not coming from me, it's coming from the Bible. Here's the idea of the rapture. One day, Jesus is going to come back, And a trumpet is going to be blown by an angel. Jesus is going to be up in the clouds. A trumpet is going to be blown by an angel. And everyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them are going to be taken off this planet and taken straight up to heaven. Millions of people will go disappearing off the planet all at once. You say, oh, that just sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie. It's not out of a sci-fi movie. It's out of the Bible. And my friend, one day it will happen. It will happen. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. All right? The Bible says here, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so there's the precursor. You have to believe that Jesus died and rose again. Your faith is in Jesus. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, the dead in in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, those that are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them from Which are asleep, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, one of these days we're going to be going about our daily affairs, And the Lord is going to look at Jesus and say, all right, go get your children, go get your bride. Jesus is going to come down to the clouds. The archangel is going to shout, then blow a trumpet, come up hither, and the trumpet is going to sound. And the very first thing that's going to happen are the graves are going to rip open. And all of the dead people who were saved are going to come shooting out of the ground and go straight up to the sky. And then right behind them, all of us that are saved, are going to shoot up in the sky with them, I didn't share this with the 8:30 crowd, but I'll slip it in, in here because this is really funny. When my father was a Bible college student, this is back before technology, okay, was where it is now. Back in the 19 uh, early 1980s, they had a young man on their dorm floor who was very gullible, okay, a simple-minded young man who loved just studying about the Rapture. I mean, he was all consumed with the Rapture. And so one day, this young man uh, laid down to take a nap in the dormitories. And so the guys decided to play a prank on him. So they put um, pajamas under one of the uh, uh, one of his roommate's beds and, you know, flipped the arm up over the, you know, covers there. And uh, they went out in the hallway and they put up shoes like this and dropped a pair of pants and dropped a shirt. And you know, everything someone would wear. They went into the shower hall, and they turned on one of the showers and left a razor on the floor and uh, left a bar of soap on the floor. And they uh, went to the sink, and they turned the sink on and, and had, you know, a brush and comb and, you know, bathroom-type caddy there. And, and then they gathered all the boys off the dorm floor and took them over to the edge. And one of the boys owned a trumpet. And they came over to the edge of the dorm floor, and one of them shouted, Come up hither! And they blew the trumpet And this young gullible man who was simple-minded, he woke up and he looked around his room and he went out in the hallway and he went in the shower and he saw all this. And he went in his room and he got his Bible and he came back out in the hallway and he clung it to his chest and he dropped to his knees and he said, Lord, don't leave me. And about that time, the boys came pouring back on the floor. and They got a good laugh at his expense. Poor guy. Poor guy. But one day that's going to happen. One day some Christian is going to be driving his car and the car is just going to run in the ditch because he's going to be in heaven. and It's going to be a sight to behold. The rapture is going to happen and Jesus is going to come for his own. And Those of us who have loved ones who have passed away that we care for deeply, we sorrow because they're not with us and we grieve but we know that their soul is in heaven and one day Jesus is going to come back for their bodies and then he's going to come back For those of us that have believed as well, it's going to be a great day. It is our hope. Quickly, letter A, notice its timing is a secret. Its timing is a secret. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, Jesus said, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. All those that are saved on planet earth will be carried out of here at once. Verse 36, Jesus said in that same chapter, But of the day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If someone ever tries to tell you they know when Jesus is coming back, well, you better distance yourself from them real quick. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Now, I look around the world today and I see how wicked it's getting. The Bible also said in Matthew 24 that the second coming of the Lord would be as the days of Noah. And I believe we're getting closer and closer and closer to that, where people are becoming more and more secular and more and more godless. And that second coming is referring to uh, the end of the seven-year tribulation. But nonetheless, I see that we're getting closer and closer. You read the book the, through the book of Revelation, and a lot of it makes sense because technology is sort of filling in the gaps in helping us to be able to see. In fact, technology is progressing at such a fast Pace that if Jesus doesn't come back, we very well may have life living on Mars or we might have man and machine that have melded with the implanting of chips into people's brains. These things are right around the corner for humanity. I think back to the Tower of Babel when they were building this tower and becoming technologically advanced and Jesus stepped in or God stepped in and He stopped it. He scattered them by uh, 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 confounding their languages and I believe that Amer- or rather, the world is getting to a place of tech, of technology advancement where the rapture will be just the thing to stymie it and bring it to a stop. And as these technologies advance, I just keep looking up because the day of the Lord is coming soon. No man knows the day or the hour. We don't know when He's coming back, but He very well may come back today. And I tell you this much, when He comes back, I want to be ready. I want to be found being faithful. Boy, I would love Jesus to come back and find me reading my Bible or all my knees in prayer or telling someone about the good news of Jesus Christ or encouraging someone who is discouraged or helping to wipe a tear from someone's eye who's going through a hardship. I sure don't want Jesus to come back and catch me in the act of a temperous rage or a moment of lust. I want Jesus to come back and find me being faithful. Letter be. it will be sudden. It will be sudden. I used to joke around that I hope Jesus comes back while well, I'm on the basketball court. I'm a white boy. I had never dunked a basketball day in my life. And I've gotten close before. Um, I, I used to go play basketball in inner city Chicago. And uh, the ball would get stuck up on the hoop. And you know, I would be the tallest guy on the court. And you know, I'm the only white guy out there on the court. And they'd say to me, they'd say, can you get the ball down? And I would look at them and i say, you've seen the movie. You know I can't jump that high. The name of the movie is White, White Man Can't Jump. Amen. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, so uh, I, I used to imagine that maybe I'd be out playing basketball and Jesus would return. And I'd be going up for a layup and then I'd get to dunk the ball on my way up to heaven. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's quite going to work that way. First Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says there, uh, uh, But of the time and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, as a thief in the night. Um, First Corinthians tells us that it will be in the twinkling of an eye. How fast can you blink? How fast can you blink your eyes? That's how fast the transaction will be from leaving earth to going to heaven. There won't be time to dunk a basketball. Amen. We'll shoot up off this planet. The trumpet will sound and you'll blink and you'll be standing in the presence of God. It's going to be marvelous. It's going to be wonderful. Letter C, notice, it's only for the saved. It's only for the saved. Now, I want to take just a moment out of the message and address a very, very important thing to those of you here. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and look at verse 16. The very end of verse 16 says, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Um, How do we get in Christ? Now, back in the Old Testament, Noah built a giant boat. And he preached for 120 years, if you want to be saved from the wrath of God, get in the boat. And everyone scoffed and mocked him. By the way, Noah was not popular, but Noah was right. Sometimes what's popular, oftentimes what's popular, is not right. Noah and his wife and three children and their wives, uh, the eight of them got in the boat, and sure enough, when they were in the boat, they were safe. One day, Jesus is coming back, and those in Christ will be safe. How about the story of Rahab and the walls of Jericho? Uh, The walls fell, and the city of Jericho was destroyed, but those in Rahab's house were saved. Those in Christ will be saved. So the question comes, how do I get in Christ? Revelation twenty fourteen and 15 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death or second separation. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You may ask the question, Well, Pastor Lejeune, how can I avoid this second death? How do I get saved? Let me give you an A, a B, and a C. All right, letter A, admit. Admit that you are a sinner. You know, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. And when we admit we're a sinner, we'll we'll say this. We'll we'll give a a qualifying statement, right? Well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as, you know, that guy over there. When I ask people to give me an example of a sin, you know what the first example people give me is? Killing somebody. You know why we throw that one out there? Because we ain't never done it. And we think, I'll just list something I've never done. And then I follow up and say, Well, what's a sin that you've committed? It says all have sinned. And then we get into lying and stealing and dishonesty, right? Um, uh, the truth is, we've all broken the Ten Commandments, every last one of them. If we've not broken them directly, we've broken the spirit of them, right? We must admit that we're a sinner, and we must understand that God hates sin. Do you understand that every day you sin, you're sending those transgressions, those trespasses, Up to God in heaven. What is a trespass? If I were to go on a piece of property that did not belong to me, I would be trespassing. When we walk onto moral ground that does not belong to us, we're trespassing the laws of God. And one day we're going to have to pay the fine for those transgressions, those trespasses. And the Bible says that that fine that God will hand us, those wages are death and hell. You must understand, you must admit that you are a lost sinner and that God punishes sinners with hellfire. I had to come to that realization. That's the case for all of humanity. Let her be believe. Believe. Well, what are we believing? We're believing in Jesus. We're believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died in my place. You know, uh, the Bible says that the price tag or wages of sin is death. I deserve to die. You know what Jesus did for me? He hung on a cruel cross. And he went through hell for this wretched sinner right here. And he did the same thing for you. The beautiful thing about Jesus' death on the cross is that his death actually was a transaction. in his death god in heaven purchased something as a result he purchased eternal life and he says that each one in humanity here is my gift to you but to get it you have to open up your heart and believe you see i could bring you the nicest gift that you could ever desire and i could offer it to you and you have two choices You can take it or, speak to me, you can take it or, leave it or reject it. God offers you the gift of eternal life that he purchased with the life of Jesus on the cross. And you know what a lot of people do? They try to offer God the currency of their good works. Well, I've been a good person. And God says, get that out of here. In my eyes, your good works are filthy rags. Because I'm perfect and you're a, a filth bag, dirty, rotten sinner. You say, is that really how God views me? Yes, it is. It's how He views all humanity. God doesn't want your good works. God does not want your self-righteousness. That's called pharisaicalism. What He wants is you to accept His righteousness laid on your account. You see, some people believe in their head, but they don't ever really believe in their heart. And this 18 inches right here from the head to the heart is oftentimes what sends people to hell. They know they're a sinner. They know Jesus died on the cross for them. They believe it up here, but they never make it personal. Let her see, confess. Confess. Romans 10.9 says that we have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. Those two things work in tandem. April eighth, nineteen 1988, as a four-year-old boy, I sat on the front row of Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, with tears running down my little cheeks, I prayed and I said to Jesus that I was a sinner, that I deserved to go to hell, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I asked Him to take away my sin and give me the gift of eternal life. That day, the Lord Jesus Christ gave me salvation. You know why I'm not going to be here when the rapture happens? Because on April 8th, 1988, as a four-year-old boy on the front row of Central Baptist Church, I bowed my head and asked Jesus to save me. Now, you don't need to know the date, but you need to remember the events. Can you remember a time where you put your faith in Jesus? I'm not just saying, well, I've always believed. No, no, no. Not just a generic belief. You turn to Christ and you said to Jesus, I am a lost Hellbound sinner, save my soul. You see, on that cross that day Jesus died, there were two thieves that died next to Jesus. And one of them looked at Jesus and said, Aha, yeah, right. If you are God, come down off this cross and take us with you. He scoffed. The other one didn't scoff, he showed humility and faith. He believed that Jesus had died. And he turned to Jesus and he said, Remember me when you entered your kingdom. You know, that man had no righteousness to offer, but he did have belief and he confessed with his mouth and Jesus looked back at him in his death and he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I would just encourage you today, put your faith in Jesus. Call on Him to be your Savior. I'll give you a chance to do that here in just a few minutes at the end of the service. When that rapture comes, it's only for the saved. Statistically speaking, you listening right now? Statistically speaking, if the rapture were to happen at this moment, there would be four, five, six, seven of you left in here. That would be awkward. But more than awkward, that would be tragic. There are a lot of people who sit on a Baptist church pew who are playing a game. Let me just be clear. When you get to the gate of heaven, God is not going to check your denominational card on whether or not He's going to let you in. He's going to ask you one question really he'll already know but here's the question what did you do with jesus and if you believed in him those pearly gates swing open and you walk right in but if you are nothing more than a pretender you're going to have to endure 7 years of horror here on earth you can still get saved it's not going to be pretty i would just say to you the rapture's for the saved Put your faith in Jesus. Number three, notice our haven. Let me talk to the saved this morning for just a moment. Letter A, notice earthly rest. Earthly rest. Matthew 11:28. the Bible says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Many times we try to substitute physical rest when what we really need is emotional and spiritual rest. There have been many times in my life, even as the pastor, where I have been emotionally and spiritually empty, just labored hard and empty. I'll be that way tonight after church. I pour myself out hard on Sundays. And uh, Monday is a recovery day for me because I, I give it my all on Sundays. And I gladly do it. I do it for the Lord. But, you know, if I go home tonight and all I do is sleep and I don't get up tomorrow morning and read my Bible and pray, I'm still going to be spiritually empty. And a whole lot of you get lots of sleep, but your problem is not physical rest. Your problem is that you're emotionally and spiritually empty. How do you rest spiritually? By reading your Bible and spending time in prayer. When... Life is hard on you as a Christian. You must run to your fortress. You must hide under the shadow of the Almighty. Earthly rest. Letter B, lastly, let's look at eternal rest. Turn over to Revelation 21 with me. We're almost done. Revelation 21 in verse number 1. Here's the good news, Christian. Jesus is coming back. And God's going to do away with this heaven and earth. And He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And you talk about utopia. Boy, this is going to be a place of great perfection. Let these verses encourage your heart as we look to the future. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the crown jewel of the new heaven and new earth. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with me, and he will dwell with them. I love this here. Let this encourage your heart. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with him and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. We live in a world that's just ravished by the curse of sin. Many times in my life I have taken a tissue and I have wiped tears away from a family member's eye. But you know what? I can't wipe their tears away for good. One day, Christian, God's going to look at you and He's going to wipe the tears from your eyes with His finger. And you'll never cry again. The hardships that we have to endure right here on this earth but for a fleeting moment. And while we're enduring them, it's tough. But eternity is a long time and we have all of eternity where we'll never shed another tear and we'll never feel any more pain. We'll never have to deal with rejection. We'll live in a presence of god forever and ever christian don't lose hope put your eyes on jesus and consider your future if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in jesus to save you what are you waiting for his arms are wide open he says come unto me and i will give you rest eternal rest for your soul let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not because I've done anything good. I know I'm going to heaven because there was a time where I opened my heart and I accepted Jesus to be my Savior. If that's your story, that's your testimony, would you just indicate that by raising your hand I'm going to heaven because I've put my faith in Jesus amen I see many many hands but not every hand is there somebody here today that would say pastor Lejeune in the privacy of the moment with no one looking and again my friend I would never embarrass you I would never embarrass you but is there somebody here this morning that would say I've, I don't know that if Jesus were to come back I'd go I don't know that if I were to die I'd go to heaven Pastor Lejeune, would you just pray for me? Would you pray for me at this time? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and right back down? I see one hand. Is there another? I just don't know what would happen to me. If you raised your hand, let me just encourage you to pray with me. If you are ready right where you are to receive Jesus, if you are ready to ask Him to be your Savior, just like that, Bad man did on the cross next to Jesus. He gave him his faith. If you're ready to do that, I'd like to help you to do that. No, if you're not, don't pray this prayer. But if you believe that you're a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross in your place, and you're ready to open up your heart and accept him right where you are, would you just pray this prayer under your breath? Maybe you're at home and you're watching online. Would you just pray this prayer under your breath? Just say, Dear Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner and I know I deserve to be punished for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. My faith is in you. Your death on the cross. Your resurrection from the dead. Save my soul and take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up and write back down so I can see that? I see several hands. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to connect with you after the service. And just make sure that you understood what you did. If you're a lady, I'll have a lady sit with you. If you're a man, I'll have a man sit with you. But I'd like to make sure that that decision is grounded in your heart, and you understand the full gravity of what you did. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, um, I have sort of lost perspective on the future, and I get discouraged and downtrodden when I watch the news or I hear of the threats against Christians. Pastor, pray for me that I will be courageous and I will lock my eyes on the future. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me that I will hold my hope Lord, help us this morning to be Christians who keep our eyes on the prize. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be courageous. Help us to stand. In Jesus' name, amen.